You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2, Hello, everyone, and welcome to Help for HD Live. I am going to be your host today, Katie Jackson. Lauren Holder is still out. Um, as many of you know, she lost her father um, a couple weeks ago, and um, as we all know, there's lots of details that have to happen, and um, of course, her family is very much going through the grieving process, so we send our love um, to the Holder family. Uh, today, we get to have Mara Surfie Platt on with us today, which is exciting for our third episode of our Mythbusters um, show. Lauren came up with this great idea of Mythbusters because there's so many misconceptions and false information out there about Huntington's disease. So she said for the month of January, let's Mythbust all these different kinds of uh, topics and areas and get the truth out there from the experts in the field. Um, and so we are excited to actually take this into our education days as well, doing some Mythbusters because it's been such a huge success and um, people have really enjoyed this kind of format. So uh, Mara received her master's degree in genetics counseling from UC Berkeley in 1992. She has worked at Kaiser Permanente in Sacramento since 1994, where she coordinates the Huntington's Disease Society of America Partner Center of Excellence. She also joined the UC Davis team as the genetic counselor in 2008. She is dedicated, dedicated to helping patients and families impacted by Huntington's disease and helped create an online course through HDSA for genetic counselors who are interested in learning more about working with the HD community. Mara is motivated to increase youth engagement in Northern California once we are able to gather again, hopefully someday in our future. Mara is extremely grateful and often humbled to be a part of the amazing, resilient HD community, and we are so looking forward to having her on this episode of Help for HD Mythbusters. So welcome to the show, Mara, and uh, let's jump right in and ask some pretty hard questions about um, um, the HD, the hereditary aspect of it, and um, one of the biggest misconceptions is that it's a male disease. Um, is that true? And can you also, um, there's also something about um, if I look the way like my dad looks or my mom that has HD or has the same personality, that means I'm going to get HD. So can we start with those questions? Sure. Thank you, Katie. It's really a pleasure to be on here with you. Um, so I get this often, you know, especially when I'm taking a family history and when I look at the the pedigree, the picture that I've drawn, it does look, look like in that family that only the men have HD in that particular family or only the women have it in that family. And so I can totally understand why this misconception happens and why people think that it's just one gender or the other based on their family history. However, that's not the way the genetics work. Um, that is just a weird coincidence. Um, and so it really is just 50-50, um, the way that, you know, dominant inheritance works 
is that if you inherit the abnormal gene, you will express the disease. You have two copies, remember, one from your mom, one from your dad of the HD gene. And if you inherit one of those, you will inherit Huntington's disease. And it doesn't matter what gender you are, you can pass that gene on or you cannot pass that gene on. It also doesn't matter what, chi what gender the child is. The child can be a male or a female child. So it's just 50-50. Um, and then the second question, I also understand, the second part of the question, because I, I totally get it. We're human and we all do this. We all think, oh, I look just like my mom or I look just like my dad or I behave like them. And really, again, it's the same genetics as genetics. It's just a 50-50 risk. And having the same personality or same um, look, looks as your parent that's affected doesn't mean that you're going to get Huntington's disease. The only time, I'll put a caveat in there, though, in that um, I could see how if maybe your behaviors, if you're behaving like your parent with HD um, and you're getting to the age where it could be onset time, I guess that could be one caveat to this that statement, but mostly it's just 50-50. Sure. And I, it's so interesting. Um, absolutely, yes, for sure. And I think it's so interesting, too, how um, I, I see my kids kind of fight over how they don't want to look like their dad. And their dad was incredibly handsome, good-looking man. You knew Mike, of course. And, and I was like, why <laughs> do was. they do this? They yeah, I don't want to look like, you look more like dad than I do. I don't look like dad, you know. And then I realized, I think that, and I finally addressed it, you know, I think they're doing that because they're so scared of getting HD. They're afraid if they're like their dad, they're going to get it. And that was a young mind doing that, which I found very interesting. Um, so, yes, not true. So, um, so of course, there's a 50-50 risk. Um, but so will you develop the same symptoms of your mom and dad um, that they've experienced through their HD journey? Yeah, that's another great question that I get in um, my work a lot. And so my, my famous line for that is you get to write your own HD story. Um, you are not going to be just like your parents. Um, and I, it depends. You know, sometimes I'll talk to somebody who their parent never got any treatment or medical care for their Huntington's disease. And so they were very, very symptomatic in many ways, you know, with the movements and the um, psychological features. And then we just try to explain that, you know, going in for care and getting treatment and, you know, we, we call it better living through chemistry, getting drugs on board that can help um, pay, help uh, alleviate some of the symptoms can really help people live way better lives. Um, and so, no, I, the answer to that is equivocally, no, you are not going to be exactly like your mom and dad, nor are you going to be exactly like your brothers and sisters, which I guess is another misconception I think that's out there, that because, you know, you and your sibling have the same parent, same environment, grew up, right, and you have maybe the same exact CAG number, that you would be exactly like your sibling. And I've seen wildly discrepant presentations where one person will, um, you know, have way more of the physical manifestations and another person will have more cognitive manifestations. And there's lots of variables and lots of reasons why that's the case. Um, some of those are really, you know, fascinating. And, you know, I, I refer you to HD Buzz for catching up on all of uh, those really fascinating things like um, somatic mosaicism where, you know, there's DNA or there's a CAG changes that are found just in the brain. Um, and maybe that, maybe that is part of what happens, you know, like after a person is born, the number of their CAGs can increase in their brain. 
and maybe that leads to different symptoms than someone whose CAGs maybe stayed the same or just increased a little bit in their brain. And there's other genes involved, and there's the whole CAA part of the CAG chain. So <clears throat> there's, there's some other reasons, I suspect, why we don't see consistency within SIBships or parents. And so another – sure. So I, I think you kind of answered this, but this is the direct myth that, that's often put out on social media, and, and we hear often that my brother my sister has already tested negative. So now I'm going to test negative or now I'm going to test positive because my brother or my sister took away my, you know, some of my odds kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, okay. yeah. 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 That is another question that we get to, like sometimes family will have six children and they'll be thinking, okay, well, three of them are going to get it and three of them aren't. And I just encourage mm-hmm. people to think about this as, you know, flipping a coin, you know, it, you can flip a coin and get heads six times in a row. You can flip a coin and get heads, tails, 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 heads. You know, it's it's just a complete. Each child is its own individual event, and so mm-hmm. the fact that your sibling tested negative or positive really doesn't impact what your result is going to be. Your result is what it's going to be. It was made the minute you were conceived. Um, yeah, but I, I again, I totally understand the human nature of this, like why people, you know, think that way, that they think we're all searching for answers and trying to make sense of things in our heads. And, uh, and so I'm really grateful you're doing this, Mythbusters, because this is a lot of what I do um, in talking with people is like just try to, um, you know, help soften the, the misconceptions a little bit. So sure, thank you. sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is, it's, there's so many of these out there. Um, and so I'm glad we're, we're definitely addressing some of these too. Um, let's talk about the, the hard, obviously always the hard talk, topic of JHD. Um, so are you more likely to get JHD from your father? We hear that often. And if that is true, why is that true? Mm-hmm. This is actually one that is true. Um, but I always like to remind people that JHD is rare. Um, it's not mm-hmm. common. Um, as we you can inherit Huntington's disease from your mother or father. When you inherit it from your dad, there is an increased chance that you can increase you can inherit an increased number of CAG repeats. You know, some theories out there about why that's the case is that, you know, women were born with all of our eggs inside of our ovaries and every month we release an egg and it's a very stable process. Whereas men are making millions of sperm every day. And so it's a much more mm-hmm. error-laden process just by nature. And that's why they think that, you know, we do tend to see that expansion happening more often when you inherit the, the gene from your dad. I can also speak to the fact that we, we tend to see that, like, JHD tends to happen not necessarily from a father who has 40, 41, 42 repeats. It, it tends to be, like, that they have a bigger expansion themselves so that the bigger the gene is, the less stable it gets. So, you know, for example, working with somebody who has, you know, 85 repeats, um, if you test the, the father, more likely that father probably is something in the high 40s, 50s, something like that, where there was just an increased chance for expansion. I have seen cases where we have gone from the, you know, low 40s, though, to juvenile Huntington's disease. It's just not a very common thing at all. Right. Okay. Um, and if someone... Yeah, no, that to- that that's very interesting. Thank you for that. Um, I I haven't heard kind of like why they some of the theories of why they think that that happens. So that's very interesting. Um, if someone's 
at risk for HD and wants to have kids? Um, what options are there? And, oh, my gosh, I wish I had this show when I had children. I had three amazing children, but, oh, I wish I had this resource back when we didn't know about HD in our, in our lives. So super important question. Yeah. Um, so there are lots of options out there. And, um, you know, I think the number one option that honestly is the most popular and most common option that we see um, is that people go ahead and have their families. You know, 90 to 95% of the people at risk for Huntington's disease don't want to know their status. And, and that, that tells me, again, something about human nature. People just want to live their lives and be happy. And for them, knowing their status is not going to make them their lives better. Um, I think that could be changing as we get to this place where we're you know, having maybe more meaningful treatments coming up quite soon. Um, but so that's the number one option with, with like just having your family and doing what you're going to do naturally. I just remind people that, okay, yeah, we science. Yes. I want to have faith in it too, that we're going to find a cure for it by the time your kids are of the age to get Huntington's disease. But please also remember that they may have to watch you be sick as well, mm-hmm. um, which is a factor. Um, and then there's, um, prenatal diagnosis, which is the tests called CVS and amniocentesis. CVS stands for chorionic villus sampling, and it's where you take a piece of the, t- uh, the tissue that's developing into the placenta, and you can actually test that for Huntington's disease because it's actually the same fetal tissue. It's exactly the same. That, that tissue just breaks into two. One part forms the placenta. One part forms the fetus. So um, that test is done usually 10 to 12, 13 weeks of pregnancy, and that amniocentesis is um, about, you know, 14 to 20-ish weeks of pregnancy. And with that, you just make babies the natural, normal way you make them. Um, and then when we get to that stage of pregnancy, you could have the testing done. Um, the problem with that is that when we're doing a test for Huntington's disease, as a genetic counselor, I have a code of ethics that says I'm not supposed to test anybody under the age of 18 for an adult onset disorder that individual deserves the right to grow up and make their own decision about whether they want to know if they have the gene for Huntington's disease or not. And so when we're doing prenatal testing, it really kind of has to be in a way where the family is pretty confident that like, you know, no, I don't want to have a child with Huntington's disease. And they have to be, you know, in the, talking about ending their pregnancy and terminating their pregnancy. Of course, no one's going to force them to do that. But um, that you know, to just sort of fit in the whole model of the way things work ethically, that is where we have to kind of go with that. Um, sure. So that, that's complicated. That. And I can't, yeah. I can't say a lot of people actually follow through. Um, yes, some do. Um, but I've had people that have done it, you know, once or twice and then said, no, I can't do this anymore. And they go on to the next option, which is PGD or pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. And pre-implantation genetic diagnosis is where um, they do IVF, basically. So for those of you who may not be familiar with that process, they give the woman a lot of shots of hormones to release a lot of eggs at one time instead of just the one. And then they, this word cracks me up, harvest the cell, the eggs from the mama, and they put them in the petri dishes in the lab, and then they fertilize them with the daddy's sperm. And then when it reaches about the, you know, I don't know, 18, 32 cell stage, they can take a few cells from the developing embryo without causing any problem for the developing embryo to continue developing normally into a baby. 
um, and they can test those and tell whether or not that embryo has the Huntington's disease expansion or not. And then they only put back in the mom for the IVF transfer the ones that are HD-free. They also screen them for some other genetic conditions as well, and so um, they're trying to give the pregnancy the very best chance that it can to survive. Of course, with PGD, um, there's no guarantee that you're going to get pregnant, right, when they do IVF. Um, it's pretty expensive. Um, I, don't, I think if I remember correctly, I'm 20 grandish a cycle is about what I'm sort of remembering. And, mm-hmm. um, and I've had, sadly, I've had, you know, some families where they just never were able to get healthy embryos to implant. I've had a family that did get healthy embryos and wasn't, the pregnancy didn't work. But I also have a bunch of families that, you know, it did work and they have healthy babies. And one mama said, it's, you know, it's my gift to my husband that um, he may have to watch me get sick, but he doesn't have to watch our children get sick. Mm-hmm. That makes me cry every time. It's so, <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and then of course, there, there's other options as well. Things like sperm and egg donation are way more common and accessible in today's world than they ever were before. And then adoption is another way to create a family as well. So there are plenty of ways to have a family. As a genetics professional, sometimes people say to me, so do you tell people not to have children? And I'm like, absolutely not. (laughs) My goal is to help them figure out what they want. (laughs) Do they want to have children or not? And, um, and, you know, if they want to have children and they just want to go about it in a natural, normal way and not worry about Huntington's disease, I support that as much as I support people who want to go forward and do, you know, pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. Just, uh, you know, right. figuring out who you are and what you want and what you need. Sure, sure. And does a person um, at risk for HD have to undergo genetic testing um, or know their status to do any of these IVF, PDG, or the CBS or... That's a great question. It's kind of the one that's the hardest for me, honestly, because this used to be pop. This used to be something we could do. However, I've I worked on that course with other genetic counselors, and we all were trying to reach out to our resources, asking, you know, does anybody still do this? Does anybody do the testing where you don't have to know your status? And someone mentioned a lab in Sweden that does it, but we all really had a hard time finding a lab that would do this. Theoretically, it's possible, um, but I just think it's, it's not as available anymore. So um, the question, I guess, could be, you know, I've never thought about this too much. I'm thinking live on, I'm thinking uh, here on the podcast live, but what about, like, just not knowing your status, I guess? Like, doing the test and not learning your status? I have to think about that some more because that seems complicated. Yeah. Then, then if the fetus is affected, we are still outing you. Which is, right, of course, the right. issue. With, um, but with the PGD, it, it is definitely much more of an option. With PGD, mm-hmm. um, they can do what they call like a, a fake or a pseudo um, pass where they put like, you know, basically nothing back into the woman's uterus um, if there were no embryos that were um, oh, in the, okay. you know, you know, and so people just don't know you know, whether or not, sure. or they just don't tell the person their status. You know, they don't say about how many embryos they had, I guess is what I'm trying to say more clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they just say, okay, yeah, we have, you know, um, some embryos that we can put in or, or we just are going to do our transfer on this particular day, and they do it without 
giving specific details of like there were this many HD free ones, or you know. So, so yeah, there's a way right. to do it with right. GD. I wasn't right. very clear about the way it's I explained so, that. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, that was perfect, and I and I think that I think. It's so funny because I had um, a friend of ours that went through this process, and, and she actually spoke on, on one of our education days. And her, uh, the doctor that did it, right, the, the, the I don't even know how to, how, what are they called, Mara? You would know the doctors that do these uh, implantations and stuff. They're like fertility yes. specialists. Exactly. Okay. The reproductive yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he, he, like, said, you know, okay, so we had, they took, like, five or whatever, so we have three that we can inject or whatever. And so she was talking about, man, it plays it plays tricks on your mind because, you know, those other two could have not been implanted because of other reasons, just that they weren't healthy. Exactly. Or, but, of course, in her mind, she's like, those two, did they have HD? And does that mean my husband has Huntington's because he's not diagnosed? But yes. does that mean so? I think people need to be prepared for if that's the case. For the mind stuff. Don't let it play tricks yeah. on you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think it's going to play tricks like on you no matter what. It's just going to be preparing for those tricks so that you know that that's what's happening to you. Sure. And, and just like talking to a genetics counselor like Mara, that is what you need to do before so your mind doesn't play those tricks on you. Um, you know, talking to a counselor and understanding the truth behind this and why things happen the way they are during these processes are going to really help bring down, I think, that mental stress that you could possibly go through. Yeah, many of the fertility centers specifically have a um, genetic counselor that they work with, and I always, or the lab um, that they go through Mm -hmm. for the actual DNA analysis, and I always encourage people to reach out to that person specifically. Um, I can give you an overview, but I don't work in the particular labs and I can't give you the specific details. Um, so, but yeah, sure. definitely talking to a genetic counselor um, is, is very, very helpful. Um, yeah, definitely. That people will, will call. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm so thank you so much, Mara, for coming on today. And I think we answered some pretty big questions. And I'm really excited for this podcast to be available for our community as a resource uh, for years to come. Um, is there any additional final thoughts you have before we wrap the show up today? Not really, other than I just want to thank you and uh, Lauren and you know everybody that works at Help for HD. You guys do amazing work, and I'm so grateful for all the energy that you guys put into making sure good information gets out into the community and that people's needs are met. And uh, again, I'm super grateful to be part of such an amazing community. Thank you all. Yeah. Well, we are lucky to have you and um, amazing genetic counselors like you are not, are, are uh, not that easy to come by. So we're very lucky to have you in HD. <laughs> so you're not alone. No, ever you. Um <laughs> So I think I think we could wrap up the show for today. Um, so next week is our final Mythbusters um, show, and it is going to be on HD treatment. And that is going to come to you um, by HD Buzz. So HD Buzz is going to do uh, that interview for us next week. So um, look for registrations on the website to start to open for education days because they're starting to – now come to uh, come to a head of we are getting ready to announce dates. So make sure you guys uh, follow us on YouTube for Help for HDTV. Um, 
subscribe to the website so you get all the information for new coming uh, TV shows and radio shows and education events and all that good stuff. I think that will do it for now. Everyone have a safe week, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications. 